0: Today, we're speaking with Patrick Ward. Hey, Patrick, how are you?
1: Good, Ben. How are you?
0: I am well. I am well. Patrick is the vice president of marketing at Rootstrap, which is a great name, by the way, Rootstrap. It's a custom software development consultancy. You know, Rootstrap works on a wide variety of things, but they use outcome-driven development to help companies scale people, processes, and products. They work with a lot of very, very big companies solving a lot of tricky challenges in web development, staff augmentation, UX UI design, not the easy stuff. And so we'll go into more what Rootstrap is doing and what Patrick's team is working on. But before we get there, Patrick, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career.
1: So as my accent belies, I'm not originally from the United States. So I started my career and life in Australia. Um, I started as a copywriter, like many marketing uh, folks do and wanted something a little bit more, so came to the United States. Made my way through a number of different industries, you know, was in finance for a while, was in ad tech for a while, and finally really found my home where I am today in B2B software development. And I think the thing that gravitated me towards this particular type of marketing is that unlike other forms of marketing that might be a little bit more transactional, when you're dealing with such large sales, you know, sales in in the realm of $100,000 or more you can't be transactional, you have to be relational. And and that was always something that stuck with me. It was very aligned with my philosophy and ethos. And and that's where I find myself today.
0: So relational Rootstrap, tell me about what you guys are working on right now at Rootstrap.
1: So as you mentioned, uh, we do a little bit of everything. And really when I look at the Rootstrap of today, it really is about two areas. Obviously, the standard offering of app and web development is very solid. And we do a lot of that. We do that for clients like Masterclass, where we join them in a very early stage and have since been part of their meteoric rise to an enterprise valuation. You know, that, that type of story is, is very core to Rootstrap. But I think what excites me even more about Rootstrap is how they're positioning for tomorrow. Because, When we look at the work we do, we understand that software development is going to be disrupted, right? There's already an increasing commoditization of the service. You look Mm -hmm. at low code, no code platforms. Um, You look at all these other areas that can potentially disrupt the model of what we're doing. And we're not just gonna sit around and take that, right? The way we approach it is how can we be at the forefront of the technologies of tomorrow? And this is where we invest through an incubation studio, where we test those emerging technologies. Most specifically, recently, we've been doing machine learning and blockchain. And through our experimentation, we are able to come up with actual solutions that deliver business value for our clients. Because I think that's one of the things that I've seen throughout my entire career in technology is that, you get a bunch of people who throw out the buzzwords. They think like, oh yeah, like that, you know, thing will come in 2030 or driverless cars, or, you know, AI is gonna steal your jobs and all these like, you know, bizarre, you know, eye-catching headlines, but it's not really pragmatic, right? It's not really helpful to the business executive of today. The business executive of today wants to know, okay, like it's cool to know where the future is in 10 to 20 years, but I've got to really think about what's coming in the pipeline you know, one to two years from now. And that's where I think that the rootstrap of uh, how we're positioning our incubation studio really lends um, you know, a lot of credence to that offering. You know, we're able to be that strategic consultative partner saying like, okay, you're in this industry, here's the emerging technologies you should look out for, and here's the ones that perhaps you know, are less applicable to you. Um, I
0: love that. I love that, Patrick. And, you know, I guess the follow on question is pretty straightforward. So of those areas, you know, what has the most promise and in those areas, what should people be thinking about?
1: See, the funny thing here is, this is where I'm a bigger believer in blockchain. And I understand that a lot of people are seeing the hype around, you know, or the hype and crash, if you will of things like NFTs. And Mm. what I would argue is when people look at that, what you are seeing is something similar to the dot-com bust, right? The dot-com bust didn't kill the internet. It just filtered out a lot of the not useful applications. Mm -hmm. So when I look at a world like NFTs and blockchain, where I get excited, funnily enough, are about the boring areas. It's about supply chains, right? We've heard a lot about supply chains out of the pandemic. Imagine if you as a consumer could know exactly where a product was sourced from, exactly the parts it was made from, know exactly where it is on its transit journey to your destination, and even know right down to the location. Is it outside your house? Is it in a vestibule you know if you're in an apartment complex like that level of specificity and that might seem boring it might seem you know mundane but Mm -hmm. if you think about it like that those are the types of applications that are really going to power the commerce of the future because I'm sure as anyone who has purchased anything on Amazon knows it can be frustrating to know hey is my product being sustainably sourced is my product even going to reach me on time? Did someone take it? You know, Did it actually arrive to me? Or is it still stuck in a warehouse somewhere? You know, These yeah. sort of things really do matter to consumers. So that I think that's one thing that I'm excited about. I yeah. think on the side of machine learning, it's really, I've seen too many times people go quick to this headline of like AI is going to steal your jobs. And the one <laughs> thing I want to advise people is, No, it's not going to steal your jobs. It's going to take the parts of your jobs that you hate. So (laughs) things like, you know, manual data entry, maybe it's research at scale. And the way that you should be thinking about it is what are the parts of your job that actually excite you? What are the parts that are creative? What are the parts that are actually intrinsically human? Because I would argue like those are the ones that you want to be doing more of. Those will give you more purpose and fulfillment in your job. And then you can use AI as a supplement in order to take some of that grunt work. The thing I use as an example here is something that many sales and marketing teams dread. CRM updates, right? Mm. We all know that we have to do it. We all know we need data to make those decisions. But no one likes doing it. No one likes updating Salesforce or HubSpot. So think of how AI could actually help you do that. You know, maybe you don't have to spend four hours on a Friday afternoon. Maybe it's literally two minutes.
0: Yeah, or maybe it's done well. I mean, I think the biggest challenge with all of those types of CRM systems that you're highlighting is there's so many human mistakes in them, incompletions that really then challenge the quality of the data outright it's a frustrating thing for almost every organization and i know that you know organizations we've gotten better over the last several years and how we administer it how we manage it how we track it but anything that machine learning could do to help is always going to be a good thing and you're right there's that natural fear that humans have i suppose driven by Hollywood, but the interesting thing I think that you're highlighting, and I think the thing that ultimately is challenging for humans, and we don't necessarily want to say this, is as much as we hate the mundane and we don't want to do the mundane, the stuff that humans are better at is kind of hard stuff, right? You know, the idea of basically nonlinear reasoning, the idea that really drives creative ideation or strategic thought, that's hard. (laughs) right and so i think the challenge will be skilling people right skilling people so that they get even better more equipped to doing that stuff too that'll be exciting
1: yeah and this has always been something near and dear to my heart this idea of alternative education that really kind of was really thrust into the limelight because of Mm. the pandemic because what we saw firsthand was essentially a bunch of college students being thrust into Zoom University and Mm. and realizing that they were getting a subpar product for a very expensive fee. And that was something that was really pleasing to me because I'd always felt that a good university experience is beneficial, but there's a lot of universities that aren't doing that. And they're just banking on the fact that, hey, four year degree is exactly what you need to succeed. And suddenly now we're seeing more alternatives come out. People are realizing, hey, maybe- You know, it was
0: so funny that you say that. So my oldest son is a freshman at university and he's quite gifted at mathematics and computer science. And he's been doing it since he was a little guy. And he got offered a job at Google that was like better than any job he's going to get coming out of college. And I was kind of going like- Man, I don't know, (laughs) you should just take that internship and go, (laughs) right? So it's an interesting situation we find ourselves in, the skill sets that you're going to need going forward in life, for sure. But let me ask you something that is a little bit in a different direction here, Patrick. I mean, you joined Rootstrap in 2021, A pandemic was still swirling, causing chaos in all of our lives. Tell me a little bit about what it was like to join the company during the pandemic. And then also, what changes are you seeing in terms of how you manage and lead and deliver solutions?
1: Yeah, so it was really interesting joining at that particular point in time, particularly because I saw one really good example of leadership and an example of leadership that I've tried to abide by, which is we went through the same exercise that many companies went through right at that point of March, 2020, where it's, Hey, you know, we've got to cut some costs. We don't really understand how this is going to disrupt us. Clients were elongating their payment terms. What can you do?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We went department by department with the specific mandate to only cut software expenses and contract expenses. We were going to keep every one of our full-time employees and we found many duplicates. We found like five different outreach tools that different departments were using, consolidated that down. And through that exercise, I was very pleased to report that by the end of that year, we started the year with 136 employees. We ended the year with 136 employees. And that was a real testament to prioritizing your people, rather than, you know, short term, you know, solvency, if you will. Fast forward into 2021. And this is where we started to see a real divergence in the model. We -hmm. started to see the big guys really push hard to get back to in person in some capacity. Mm. And I got frustrated with that. Because I saw all these articles of managers saying, I can't manage effectively. Oh, in-person is the only way people can be productive. And I found that offensive because I manage a team of 15 people right now. And those 15 people are spread across four continents. Half my team, I haven't even met in person to this date. And I've worked with them for years now. And yeah. I can tell you they are some of the most hardworking, some of the most productive. Now, you do, as a manager, have to change your management style. You do mm-hmm. have to find ways to tap into people's motivation. You have to have really strong EQ so you can understand those little nuances. Mm-hmm. in uh, is someone feeling good today? Are they feeling a bit sad? Where can you be you know, a shoulder to cry on? Where can you be someone to uplift them? but you can do it. And the benefits are massive. I always use this one example. I had a, a really talented developer that I was looking to hire. He has over 20 years of experience. And I was thinking, you know, we, you know, we pay well, but there are definitely bigger companies than us that can pay more. I'm like, what am I going to be able to sell this guy? Turns out He had a young child that he was looking after at home. He wasn't even looking for a new job, but they were making him come back three days a week. And because his wife worked in the government, it wasn't going to work. So I just said to him, I can offer you fully remote. He joined me the next day. Like that is the power. If you understand that, hey, it doesn't matter if we're exactly in the same city. As long as you hire someone who is talented, who can put in the work, who is accountable, who can be autonomous, you can get a fabulous team in a distributed. Yeah, way.
0: I agree. And it's such an interesting one. I talk to a lot of executives, and there is a divergence in perspectives here. Certainly, I would say successful leaders of large organizations who understood their own career path very clearly and know how the levers worked for them to learn and get ahead and shape and so on and so forth. You can see that they're craving the back to the office in a way because they understand the variables. I also find that some of these HR professionals are concerned about the long-term ramifications for Gen Zers that never work in an office and perhaps you know lose some level of humanity in that process. <laughs> but I really find myself gravitating to your perspective. There's no way anyone can argue that being in an office is more efficient. It's just not. I mean, no one has shown me a study that shows me how a team is more efficient, especially kind of like knowledge workers or tech workers that can work virtually, more efficient. It's just not true, right? And the only areas I can see might be some areas of innovation, you know, those kind of areas where the Eureka moment happens over the water cooler, but I mean, I've had some pretty eureka moments virtually too. So I'm pretty torn on this one. So, I mean, I'm with you, man. I think you're onto something, Patrick. And so I think it helps me understand where you and Rootstrap and your team are thinking and how you imagine the future of the world. But as you guys look forward into 2023 here, what's your thought for the near future?
1: So the near future, um, it, it always makes me feel a bit of a bad person when I think of 2023. Because unfortunately, I feel like there is a bit more pain to, to be on the horizon. That pain, unfortunately, will be Rootstrap's gain. Um, we've seen many countless layoffs being announced in the media. Um, and even if it's not layoffs, hiring freezes. And so naturally, one only has to look at what does that cause. That causes you know, staff members to be overstretched. And when they're overstretched, the financial people usually say, well, you can have some contract resources, you can't have full time. And when you can have some contract resources, that plays into Rootstrap's model very effectively. Um, So we saw this uh, once the initial hiccup of the pandemic, you know, cooled off, people were very receptive to our offering. Uh, And equally, I can definitely report for the last quarter, we've had more conversations with enterprises than we have in our entire history. I mean, I'm very proud of, you know, the growth that I've been able to achieve with Rootstrap. Uh, You know, I grew it, I joined them when they were 5 million in revenue, now they're 20 million. But the fact of the matter is, we are still small. And there are many enterprises who will go to the larger shops in our industry. However, because of our fairly economical pricing, this is the time when suddenly those enterprises are looking at cost right start looking at cost and cost compared to value that's when we really shine i love
0: what you're saying patrick you know in pain comes opportunity or I can't remember if it was Rockefeller or Carnegie or one of those guys talked about when there's blood in the streets. That's like when there's chances here. It's true. The interesting moment here, too, is that I do think that because of the pandemic, you have a new generation of leaders that are faster to act in crisis and they're more aware of how flexible solutions can work. So, you know, hopefully we can be nimble here. I don't know, but I'm excited to see how it goes forward. And I can see how Rootstrap plays a big role there. Patrick, if someone wanted to find out more about what you and the team are working on, where should they find you?
1: So they can either go to our website, www.rootstrap.com or they can connect with me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash in slash Patrick James Ward.
0: Excellent. Well, we've been speaking with Patrick Ward. He is the VP of Marketing at Rootstrap. And we've been talking about all of the areas that Rootstrap is playing, working on outcome driven development to help companies scale people, processes and products. This is a company that's working on everything from app development, web development, staff augmentation, UX and UI design, and helping really some of the largest, most important companies in the world. Patrick, really interesting to talk to you about how you've grown the business over the last couple of years and how you guys are operating and your thoughts on the future. And I love the lab and the incubator that uh, you guys are operating as well. Thank you so much for being on Uncaged Day and we look forward to having you back. Thanks, Ben. Cheers.